What up, podcast listeners? This is Jordan on the Pod Chat. I'm joined here today, a new co-host. Y'all heard Quinn on the previous episodes, but now we have Roger Brandstetter. Roger, say what's up. What's up? Um, Roger, me and him go back not too far. We're not exactly college buddies, but we uh, became really good friends after the fact. Uh, he's repping Madison right now. Um, again, this is... Pod Chat, the podcast that is based off of your conversations that you might have in some group messages, um, just some random topics of discussion, uh, trying to see if this relates to you guys. Again, I want to thank my buddy Ryan McCrum for letting us uh, play in that intro music. Uh, today, me and Roger are going to discuss some video games, specifically Destiny 2, because we're all about Destiny right now. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about TV, uh, some of the Emmy conversations a little bit later, and maybe dive into politics towards the end. Um, but Roger, Destiny 2, what are you thinking so far? My initial take is that it's a fantastic game. So uh, you and my friends and family, pretty much anyone that knows me knows that I loved Destiny 1 uh, throughout pretty much its entire life. I got into it um, the Christmas after it released. I believe it was a September or October release. Um, I uh, ordered it via Gamefly and ended up keeping it uh, throughout the duration. Uh, bought the disc from Gamefly and then promptly canceled Gamefly because it was the only game that I was playing. Uh, so I'm not coming from a place of, of neutrality in reviewing this game. But uh, in, in playing it and trying some other shooters, it's, it feels very much like Destiny 1 in terms of the mechanics. Uh, the gunplay is fantastic, and they've made a number of quality of life improvements um, over Destiny 1. And uh, I, like many video game reviewers that um, podcasts that I listen to, um, I think the graphics are vastly improved over Destiny 1, which is fantastic. Yeah, I was um, I was a little late to the Destiny 1 train. Um, I really just got it for Christmas 2016, so I was a little late to that. And you played with me and Quinn, a uh, friend of the pod chat. I didn't really get too much of the story there with Destiny because we were just kind of going through trying to get the the level up and the light level um what sort of like differences do you notice in terms of the story because now i'm starting to pay attention to the destiny 2 story because i'm going going through it kind of slow uh what are the main differences or what might be better or worse well um i think i would echo the vast majority of anyone who's played destiny um in saying that destiny 2 actually has a story so you hit on it in talking about <laughs> destiny one i mean you and quinn started at around the same time and really the first like i got the story but um personally i had to go online and look up a lot of the lore a lot of the story to even understand like the enemies we were fighting like there's these random robots that were on mars and venus but no one really knew why they were there and i mm -hmm. think uh, a lot of the Destiny community is kind of, they're apologists for Bungie. I mean, the gameplay really is so good for 
Destiny 1 that it made up for the lack of a story. Uh, in Destiny 2, uh, they've made a lot of improvements as far as the storytelling. It gets back to Bungie's um, Halo storytelling arc almost in terms of um, strong protagonists that you care about. Um, there's compelling enemies. There's cutscenes. Um, again, the graphics are outrageous. Um, and it really gives you some stakes in the fight, whereas in Destiny 1, it really didn't. Um, you're chasing a mysterious stranger. You're going to the Black Garden and defeating the, the heart in the Black Garden, which is just this big, amorphous, black blob. Uh, <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah, well, I mean, I liked it, but also it didn't appeal to a lot of people. So I'm glad that Bunchy has really patched up their storytelling um, they made it appeal to a lot more people, and I think um, putting some of the lore in the game is a huge step forward so people don't have to go online and look up the Grimoire cards like they did for Destiny 1 to figure out, okay, I got this exotic gun. I have no idea why it's so cool and why I should want it. Whereas in 2, you hold down L2 or whatever it is on Xbox and it pulls up this page and you can look at this quote and it kind of gets you into the game a little bit more. Yeah. See, I played a lot of Halo like when I was in middle school and high school and that was kind of the, the shooter that I was really into the thing. Me about too, man. Yeah. See the thing about that game though, was that this was not in the heyday of online gaming, so it wasn't like everything had to be connected to the internet in order to play, and they really did have to have like a substantial story to it. Um, so I think that might be my favorite part so far is being able to go through the story. And if you're not a huge, um, you know, shooter video game player like myself, I'm usually more into like the Madden or the 2K then it makes you feel like it's kind of worth playing rather than hopping online and getting killed by somebody 16 times in a row before you might get a lucky, you know, grenade throw in there. Yes, I like that there is a base story where you're fighting the, the Cabal, the big guy named Gaul. Um, it it kind of tells you why he's so scary. It's because he blows up planets and systems. Um, and there's these other adventures within the game, which you can do basically at any time. Um, I just leveled up my second char character. Sorry, I jumped a little bit ahead of you. <laughs> That's alright. <laughs> and, uh, and it kind of gives you these side stories. Um, on one of the planets, uh, I think it was Nessus, there's this adventure you go on, which is just like another word for like a, a campaign mission that is not part of the like main storyline and there's some dialogue and you get the idea that there's going to be this thing a leviathan a planet eating thing coming towards the planet and lo and behold a week later that's the raid it's this huge ship that eats planets so it's not just to pump up other material in the game like the raid but um i don't know there's stuff on other planets that harkens back to destiny one um just talks a little bit more about some of the major players i think it's pretty cool and um if it's only easter eggs for d1 players i appreciate that but i think it, it's pretty good storytelling um there's interesting mechanics that are involved in those that are different than the regular story 
I don't know. I think it's a really good game. I think the only improvements um, that they can make to D2 right now um, are probably in the PvP arena, in the Crucible. Um, it's just not very balanced right now, but I think a lot of it will normalize with time as more people get more guns, too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like in the beginning stages right now, so you have people who are a little bit more hardcore who I'm sure are at level, what is it, 400 light, level 40, a bunch of different weapons, and then you got, you know, kind of your casual player like myself who has owned the game for about three days now, and I've played maybe an hour and a half total in game time. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I think that is one of the stronger aspects of Destiny, um, both in Destiny 1 and 2, but it certainly is stronger in 2. Um, there is something for everyone, so if you're really into like Call of Duty, I'm going to go online and play against other players that are similar power to me. They have competitive matchmaking, so you'll generally... It sounds like I'm selling the game, which... I don't want it to sound like it's not a perfect game, but free advertising. Um, yeah, no kidding. Hey, Bungie, at me. Uh, if you're a casual, self-confessed casual like yourself, um, there's the storyline. There's these these loot caves where it's essentially just single encounters where you fight a hundred-ish bad guys and a boss, and they're not particularly difficult, but you can get gear to level up pretty easily. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. And if you're hardcore enough to check out the raid, um, I went into that blind the other day uh, with five other completely random dudes. Um, so we w go into this mission, and um, it's the biggest level I've ever seen in a first-person shooter. And basically we had to explore the outside of this enormous ship to figure out how to even get in. There's all these fights inside that there aren't really instructions for. You just basically have to figure out how to beat them by dying a bunch of times and it was a pretty unique experience yeah definitely i mean figuring it out it we've figured that out before when we were doing some what was a raid or a mission where we were just we were dying trying to figure out how to get through this timed course to unlock something and trial by error oh you know? yeah uh yeah. that was uh if you have any destiny one fans uh, that are listening to the podcast as for the Black Spindle mission. Uh, it's this exotic sniper, and we had to run through this one mission in under 10 minutes, and we just couldn't get it. Um, I think it was a combination of us being underleveled and me not explaining things well, which I don't know why I'm on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but we just didn't get it. I think if there's anything like that in D2, they'll probably explain it a little better. But, I mean... It's worth picking up if only for the shooting mechanics and the quality of life improvements over Destiny 1. Um, it really, it's a very good AAA shooter. I mean, the Bungie knows how to make a game, and it's, it's worth picking up. Yeah, that was one of the things, too, about Destiny 1 is, um, like, I'm not plugged into and i'm sure a lot of people weren't like plugged into all the like destiny reddit and um you know even having the forethought to look online to you know figure out how to unlock certain things or um the easiest and best way to complete a mission uh something like that get the best weapons and that i can, I can see that being a little bit difficult for some of the players 
Yeah, I would say that's probably one of the most unique aspects I've experienced in de- in the Destiny universe, in Destiny 1, but also, I mean, I've looked stuff up for Destiny 2 so far. Um, and I mean that that Reddit page, Destiny, the game Reddit, is unbelievable in terms of not just, like, the in-jokes, obviously, which happen with, I mean, that's what we do in our group chat, but, I mean, it's it's everyone who plays the game who's on this Reddit, which is, like, I mean, I can look this up right now, but it's hundreds of thousands of people, mm-hmm. which is just ins- like, um, I'm just looking it up. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's an insane community. 16,000 people. Yeah, that's a lot. So the other cool thing about that is when Bungie does what they do and hide something in the game, like, um, in the first game, for example, there's, um, it's called the sleeper simulant. Is that's really really good gun. Um, it became in vogue, especially towards the end of the game, uh, because you could put out a lot of damage per second with it. Um, so the way that you unlocked this was this very convoluted quest, and the only way that it really was discovered um, and spread so that everyone eventually knew how to unlock it was via I don't know, probably 50 people on Reddit. Um, who are the hardest of hardcore gamers, uh, and especially for Destiny, and they would go into this mission and figure out the exact order you had to kill these guys in. Um, they you get this drop, and they had to figure out the exact order this code goes in. And, I mean, that's only one of a, a handful of examples of these extremely complex puzzles where Bungie puts it in-game, and they expect people outside the game the fans because they know hundreds of thousands millions of people are buying this game um they expect like a very small fraction of them to figure this out and spread the word and that's very unique um to any video game i've played i know i've seen that for fallout to some degree but that reddit was in the experience that i played it for fallout 4 not nearly as active as destinies which is i don't know pretty cool for bungie yeah, see that small faction of people, I, they're just doing God's work right there. They're taking the time to do things that I'm definitely not going to be sitting there trying to figure out or dedicate hours because not only am I a lazy video game player at times, I I get frustrated at video games, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, for sure, I get that. So I said the sleeper simulant example. Um, I didn't even give the actual good example that I had written down. Um, there was this gun that was within the last raid of Destiny 1 um, mm-hmm. and it was a pulse rifle and you essentially had to do you had to do the raid one time through and activate these five different their monitors, it, they're essentially things you go next to and you hold the uh, square button or whatever and you turn them on um, but one of the monitors um, you had to access via this like this puzzle with like binary code and the only way that you could figure this out was to like put these numbers that flash on these monitors that two people two separate people at different parts of this raid read and then four people in a different room would hop onto these cylinders that are on this grid and you had to do it i don't know within five seconds of each other or some time frame to get this thing to open and then beat the raid to get all these monitors to turn on. And then you had, I don't know, seven other steps. But 
was just this alternate reality game that Bungie just like banked on the community being able to figure out, which is cool that they can rely on fans, but also, I don't know, that's a lot of faith to put in just random people to come together and figure out like that. Yeah, that's definitely like confidence in your product and you know might be playing a little bit with house money in case people decide one day that you know what we're not gonna decide to do this anymore but that also might just be part of the fun too um now that i really think about it just being able to discover new things rather than it be so cut and dry you know like the video games of the past that we're used to for sure so um I think that my favorite shooter in college uh, would have been Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And they're really, I mean, the campaign was fun, don't get me wrong, and the multiplayer was fantastic. I remember playing for like 26 hours straight the day it came out and night it came out. Uh, it just didn't have a community like Destiny does, which is saying something because Call of Duty is obviously just a huge game that everyone at one point played. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm pretty happy that specifically the Reddit, but just the Destiny community in general, is it's so unique among video games. Yeah, even I had Call of Duty. Mod- yeah, it was Modern Warfare 2. Like, even I had that in college, and I didn't play it too much because, again, it goes back to that point. I would try to go online, and then I would just get slaughtered by people who have a lot more experience playing games like that and who have a lot more free time even though I was a college student with not a whole lot to do (laughs) I I don't think we realized how much free time we had in college (laughs) oh definitely not definitely not I wish we could go back a little bit um oh I was gonna I was gonna bring up too so Roger you wrote a piece a couple months ago actually for um our medium page which is something we don't really plug too often anymore but it's medium.com slash define print if anybody wants to go print yes if anybody wants to go you know check out some of the things we wrote about it's uh i would say it's more tilted towards the pop culture side rather than uh specifically you know sports targeting or politics anything like that but you did write a piece about um halo and a possibility for a Halo movie or more like, yo, why is there not a Halo movie because they have all the chess pieces in place for one? Do you why think... is there not a Halo movie? There's not a good reason. It's <laughs> one of the most popular franchises of all time. Uh, there's a, I mean, Microsoft's Xbox system has Master Chief in every single commercial that it has. I think you had a question. I'm sorry, I had to... Oh, no. Well, that brings up another good point, too. Why not just, you know, hire some sort of A-list actor? You you can CGI Master Chief, you know? He doesn't even have to be on um, on a He's stage. He's essentially or, Iron Man. I mean... Yeah, exactly. You can RDJ it, you know, have him be in a green screen with a camera on his face the entire time. Um, but I was going to say, do you think Destiny, now that they're kind of uh, working with D2, um, working that storyline a little bit, do you think they have room or some flexibility to market this into a, like a Hollywood franchise? 
Um, that's a pretty tough question. I would say no, generally. Um, Destiny is, I think, a little bit less... Um, I guess I would say it's a little bit less publicly talked about than the Halo franchise was. Um, that's fair. Especially, I mean, there's five main Halo games. There's two Destiny ones, and I, I mean, Destiny's been out for three years, um, and then D2 will be out for probably three or four years. Um, it just doesn't have the longevity or the... I think it has the fan base, but if you're going to do a video game movie, I think it has to be almost like an iconic series. So Halo, I think, has that appeal to me uh, where it seems like, okay, this is this entity that's been around for a decade plus. There's all these people. If you say, I don't know, if I try to explain what Destiny is to people, I'll say, oh, it's this, it's the studio that made Halo. You know Halo? And people will know what that is. So I think, like, Tomb Raider makes sense. That's pretty iconic. Um, Resident Evil, people know what that is. Um, yeah. Doom, that made sense. I'm a little surprised there isn't a Wolfenstein movie, to be completely honest. Uh, they did a Mario movie. I just don't think that Destiny quite is at that level. Um, it would be interesting, I think, but there's also um, the issue within the Destiny universe that there are just, like, thousand stories that you could tell and it's i think it'd be really hard to tell one specific story i mean even if you're to look at destiny one like okay this guy got reanimated and fought and i don't know it's just it's very convoluted and even to explain what the story in destiny one is you have to pretty much pull out a dictionary plop it on the table and say okay this is what this race is this is why they are the way they are this is another race. Uh, oh, and there's this raid that... Uh, it's just a lot of stuff to explain. Uh, it'd be like a World of Warcraft movie almost, but I think that World of Warcraft might even be a little bit easier to tell just because, I mean, it's orcs and humans. I mean, there's not six different races and all these planets. It's a little bit more high fantasy than sci-fi. Bas basically, you're saying it, it would do really well in China. Exactly. Yeah, it would be huge in China. Um, <laughs> I think with, like, going back to your point about, um, like, the Tomb Raiders and the Resident Evils, I, I would even say there's there might even be, like, a generation of people out there now who can look at those movies and see those movies as more like a separate entity from the video games themselves. Like, Angelina Jolie kind of made the Laura Croft character... Uh, pretty well known and famous in the pop culture lexicon because uh, there was a lot of talk about the the recasting and who should play in Laura Croft in the reboot. Um, Resident Evil kind of just feels like it's um, kind of like in the underworld-ish genre or Silent Hill um, in that they're more just horror movies now. Um, yeah, but with, I also think it's Island much Island. easier to make a horror movie than it is to make like a, a, a drama. So, I mean, like Doom or Resident Evil is going to be a lot more successful than something that tries to succeed like a Mario Brothers, which, as we all know, flopped horribly and isn't looked upon particularly fondly. Uh, I would watch that again just to just to get some laughs. Uh, the Rock is making a Rampage movie, though. I'm pretty turned for that. Yeah, in discussing this, I pulled up a, uh, a best video game movie ranked from best to worst of all time. Somehow, Assassin's Creed 
which I, uh, that's, I never that's, saw it actually. It's on that edge for me where it, like, I loved the first three Assassin's Creeds, but then fell off. I don't know if it should. The first one, I think, could definitely be a movie. First two could be a movie, but I'm not. Sh- I didn't see it, and it got panned. I'm good. I don't really need to see it. Uh, were you in or out on Need for Speed? I, I was. Know that you're a fan of Fast and Furious, so. <laughs> yeah, it didn't. I mean, it kind of felt a little bit like the first, the Fast and the Furious. Um, I was in because I'm huge on Aaron Paul, and I really want him to be a movie star. Um, I can see how it kind of just had its moment for maybe a weekend and then is now stuck on, you know, whatever FX, TNT, TBS. Um, it's definitely a movie that could probably play really well on cable. Cause I think they, I think they went for like a PG 13 ish rating to get, you know, younger audience in there so they could watch it too. There's no, you know, graphic sex with Imogen Poots or anything like that in there. Which is a shame. She is she is very cute. Very cute. Um, does Lego Movie count as a video game movie? Or is that... No, solidly no. Although the, um, the Lego Batman movie, which I'm fairly sure is a thing, I'm pretty sure that is out, or I don't watch that many quote-unquote kids' movies in theaters. Um... I think that that one would count because, I mean, Lego Batman was a movie, or I'm sorry, a video game first. I think the Lego movie was like a like a Hot Wheels movie or like, like one of those where it's it's trying to make a movie off of a toy and then they'd make a video game off of the movie which was off of a toy. Yeah, I guess it was just kind of wrapping everything up off of a certain brand. It just kind of looked to me like... <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I see a million commercials. Like if you have a hot IP or a hot commodity, it's gonna be turned into a Lego. You you know like Harry Potter or um, even Fast and Furious. I think they have Legos too for that. Um, any sort of superhero IP, Marvel, DC, you're getting a lego video game you're getting a regular video game you're getting lego piece set to give to your kid on their birthday it's it's a whole thing so it's kind of hard for me to discern chicken or egg is it video game is it going to be you know and yeah that's completely understandable and i get that um I'm looking at more of these uh video game movies on this uh this list keep diving the deep dive a little bit multitasking uh hitman i don't think that that should have been a movie and i don't know why it's so high on this list uh resident evil sure lorecroft sure house of the dead Uh, dead or alive wasn't that just a game so like teenagers could look at boobs right i mean i'm pretty sure yeah although i guess maybe it was just a movie so teenagers could look at boobs um i mean that's kind of like grand theft auto yeah that's fair Although, you know, that double, or I'm sorry, that double, that, um, that hot coffee mod was way overblown. Um, I, I'm going to put that one at Hillary Clinton's feet. She, she overblew that and it became a thing. And I think that was part of, that was just not a good scene. Hopefully. I forgot what year that occurred, but it was, uh, it was weird that people were blaming, um, 
video games for violence and sex and teenagers. It's like teenagers are just weirdos. <laughs> They're going to do this stuff anyway just because a video game has it in there. Like people have been shooting Nazis in video games, but they're not shooting Nazis in real life. I mean, right? Not yet. I mean, Nazis are back. They're in vogue again. Um, the magazine? <laughs> I mean, practically, what, what's that one dude's name? Um, the one crazy Nazi that they were calling a um, a, a fashion fashionista, whatever. He's, I mean, he's basically a white supremacist. He's the one that keeps getting kicked off all these college campuses. Not Milo, whatever plus, right? Or the other one? He's just the he's other the, one. The other uh, douchebag. It doesn't matter. It's probably better that we don't know his name or spread his name. You know what? I feel better about myself for not knowing the name, so fair point. Hey, me too. Kudos to us. <laughs> um, well, yeah, any any more points on Destiny 2? We kind of got off track there, but I uh, want to bring I think it back. For the for the best. Um, I, I'll just go over a, a few bullet points. So uh, Destiny 2 versus Destiny 1. Destiny 2 has um, some fast traveling within the game. So in Destiny 1, if you went to Mars, Venus, Earth... Um, the dreadnought you could go in at one point uh, if you're going into patrol or even for most missions you get inserted into one point uh, in destiny 2 you can fast travel all over this i mean they're huge maps and they were huge maps in destiny 1 um, so it's just nice to be able to get a little bit closer to missions um, or if there's a public event going on uh, which is a big thing it's a way that you level up your subclasses so you can become a Stormcaller Warlock or a Sentinel type. It, mm -hmm. It's important to know where these public events are being held. Um, so they show up on the map and you can fast travel right to them. So that's super nice. That's maybe the biggest quality of life improvement over Destiny 1. Uh, once you're on these maps, you can activate missions from the patrol area. So if you're just cruising around and you see a beacon, you can go do an adventure mission, which uh, I said before is essentially just like a a little tack on to the campaign or if you see I don't know I mean there's the standard patrol that you can go do and kill 10 guys or whatever um, you can activate all of that just walking around in the world which is pretty cool um, you can place a tracker on the map so you know where to go um, instead of just having to like meander around uh, like I feel like you and Quinn did a little bit in Destiny 1 uh, yep <laughs> yeah so you can figure out right where to go. That's super useful. And then uh, you can get upgrades for these different factions um, based on location. So if you're on Earth in the European Dead Zone, there's uh, armor based specifically for that zone. There are these uh, chromas or different colors. You can dye all your stuff that are based on where you are. And you can get those based on like just doing work and killing a bunch of aliens on Earth or io or nessus or wherever you are which is pretty cool i love shooting um, aliens oh it's so much fun i think that's about all i have for destiny one or i'm sorry that's all i have for destiny two i think um it's a good game i'm looking forward to playing it for a while be looking forward to whatever dlc that bungie has coming down the pipe yes i'm hyped we'll have to hop online uh get the headphones going get the sticks in order start killing some aliens um, can't, can't wait. 
I do want to take a moment. Um, we did this in the last two podcasts. Uh, Roger, as you probably assumed, and as, as everybody who's listening should know, there are no sponsors to this podcast. Um, we don't have any advertisements. There's no SeatGeek. There's no MeUndies. There's no uh, NatureBox. None of that good stuff you hear from your other podcasts. Um, so in lieu of that, I wanted to take a moment in each podcast to just shout out somebody, you know, doing something creative, um, you know, trying to get a little bit more uh, traffic to whatever they're doing, whether that's creating some art. Um, we shouted out my buddy Eric, who's doing his photography photography thing, uh, E. Hamilton Photography. Um, we've shouted out my new uncle who has his catering business, uh, Smokin' Doug's Barbecue. You can still search for them on Facebook. Um, this time around, not so much a person selling a product or a service, anything like that, but I do want to shout out, Roger, our good friend Bailey Kaiser. Who Bailey is, Kaiser. Yeah, she is doing MasterChef Uruguay. Um, so for those who do know listening to the podcast and those who may not know our good friend Bailey, sister of Quinn, uh, co-host of the pod, she lives in Uruguay, so she's, is she still an American? I think so. Um, I think, uh, once you're an American, you're always an American. Tell that to DACA. Um, but... But yeah, she's doing MasterChef Uruguay because she's a great chef. Um, I'm going to get some links maybe to attach to this to figure out the YouTube um, so people can check her out. Uh, Bailey, your friends in the United States are still rooting for you. We know that you are a really good cook. You've cooked a few meals for me and your, your little bro in college, and we've always enjoyed them. So we're rooting for you, Bailey. You should see if uh, she's cool with uh, an Instagram shout-out and link that, too, because those pics that she posts uh, make me hungry on a daily basis. They are they melt my eyes. They look so good. Oh, yes. They're, if you're a foodie, then you definitely got to check it out. I don't know if I want to give out her uh, Yeah, definitely Instagram. make sure if it's cool with her first. Maybe on the next pod, Bailey. I, I don't want to get too uh, too insensitive to your privacy, but... We are recording this podcast uh, the Tuesday after the 2017 Emmy Awards hosted by one Stephen Colbert. Um, the reception after the Emmys, the the talk, the chatter about it, I feel like it's been more about what happened while people were there. You know, like the, um, the Spicer thing and the cutting off K. Sterling Brown, or Sterling K. Brown, sorry, uh, Nicole Kidman getting, you know, a 20-minute monologue like she's at the Oscars. Uh, is, is that kind of how you felt, too? Um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I heard a little bit of talk about Handmaid's Tale, just, like, people saying that it's this cool show, um, but that's not something that's new. I mean, we're hearing this the entire year. Um I didn't really hear I saw some congratulations for like Donald Glover um, some mm-hmm. congratulations for like Riz Ahmed I mean it's it's congratulating the winners which happens every year but it's not really talking about any I don't know it I, I would say it was more reaction based which I think is kind of the direction our culture is heading 
and as Ben heading um, versus talking about the merits of each show that was nominated. Yeah, I think it was it was this year that the Emmys really became like a show and they they wanted people talking about the Emmys itself not I mean as sad as it is to say like the actual people that won the awards I mean what I've been hearing mostly is again the Sterling K Brown cutoff um the Sean Spicer stuff I what I've heard about Handmaid's Tale I mean it's a great show I haven't watched it personally yet I need to sit down and do so but I've also been hearing the chatter around it being oh well Game of Thrones season seven isn't eligible for this year, so that's why you know it's leaving the door open for drama series. Yeah, um, I think that that's going to be a big thing next year. Um, it'll uh, Game of Thrones return to the to the Emmys. I think it's going to sweep a lot of categories. I think part of that is because um, I don't know. It's just so pervasive in culture literally every tweet i see or saw i guess on game of thrones sundays were about game of thrones and i'm not a throner so that was annoying to me but i can also see that it is going to definitely win just a ton of awards uh next year and then um i I think the final season or whatever um is probably going to win everything it's going to win comedy series (laughs) i mean I feel like that's going to be my goal in life, Rogers, to make sure you have a, a raging throner for season eight because I love Game Look, of Thrones, everything about it. You need to watch it. I'm telling you. I'll catch up for sure. Um, it's at some good. point, I'll catch up, but it's just not going to happen yet. I still have to finish up Atlanta, which deserves every award that it ever gets to. Ah, yes, Atlanta. Atlanta's probably the best show. Um, that you can get for 30 minutes on your TV, I swear. Uh, we should get I would to that. I concur with that. Um, so I like that Veep. Like, I like Veep. It's a good show. It's a funny show. Julia Dreyfus, I mean, she's the, one of the funniest women ever. I mean, throughout yes. history. One of the funniest women. It's In, incredible. Indeed. One of the uh, funniest people. Said, let's let's, uh, let's go with that. She, well, not even she. I there's a piece on I, I think it was Grantland a couple of years ago or three years ago might have been a podcast um, but it was basically just that the Emmys should not have identical winners over different years so like the West Wing in the 90s could have won Best Drama once but then like the other five or four or whatever it won um, would go to a different show like it just goes to a different show every year like once a show or an actor or actress wins director wins um it's pretty much acknowledged that they are worthy of this honor but i mean it's not like you can get a higher like winning multiple doesn't seem right there's plenty of shows in any given year that deserve like master of none is a great show silicon valley is awesome um blackish deserves it atlanta deserves it better call saul is worth it westworld is awesome i just don't think that all of these different shells need to keep getting nominated and Veep falls pretty squarely into this category where it's this repeat winner and it's almost like this consensus comedy show the way Modern Family was for a number of years where if it's nominated it's going to win because it isn't reaching like a Master of None or uh, an Atlanta or a Blackish is. 
Yeah, and that's that's part of it too with the Emmys is that it, I feel like that's might be why they actually were trying to get a little bit more uh, gimmicky, especially with um, the Spicer deal, uh, is because you know if a certain show is nominated, you just kind of know it wins. Um, again, Veep, not saying it doesn't deserve any of the accolades that it gets, but essentially you kind of get bored of the same show winning. It's fatigue. It's like LeBron James winning the MVP every year, and then people are so sick and tired of him winning, they give it to Kevin Durant. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I think it's a little different for sports, but um, I also, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. If, yeah. If there was, same example, if West Wing was still going, it would still win Best Drama Series just because it, there's, uh, we're in peak television. We're still in peak television. We're going to be for some time. I think we should try to nominate. I mean, it's not like either of us really have any bearing on this, but um, different shows I think should win. Just And it's good that Handmaid's Tale did. I'm not a Hulu guy. And I like that its message is largely anti-patriarchy, which we're both dudes. But, I mean, society is pretty much dominated by males. I think yeah. most feminists have a pretty good point. Um, and in this political environment, I think that deserved to win. But, I, I don't know, even be starring a woman, very feminist show, just because of that, uh, it's just boring. I don't know. Silicon Valley is good. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is good. I'm just looking at this list. I think they all deserve wins. I don't like Modern Family, but uh, Atlanta, Master of None, for sure, are fantastic. Yeah, Uh, I mean, there's there's even a lot of... I mean, there's so much content out there right now that there's... I mean, you might even be turned off to the Emmys if a show you truly love isn't even nominated. Like, uh, let's stick with Outstanding Comedy Series... I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine is one of the funniest shows on television. I keep mad hard for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, but it's not really getting nominated for awards or comedy series. Uh, I think Andy Samberg is somehow flying under the radar as a really funny dude. Yeah, figure that one out. Uh, SNL star flying under the radar is just unheard of. Like if, if, yeah. any, if Jimmy Fallon somehow didn't get his show uh, on for his late night show and was not doing anything else that would be a headline story like once a month like why isn't jimmy fallon doing something mm-hmm. and i think andy samberg especially with the digital shorts he did at snl is very much on that level if for no other reason than it made snl a little bit more youtube relevant which is just a large part of like internet twitter culture yeah um oh you know what underrated movie that i watched the other day um, on on HBO, I think it's still on there. Is the uh, that pop star movie that Andy Samberg did? Uh, Extremely funny. Well, it is so funny, but I literally had nobody telling me to watch this movie, and I just watched it. Cause I'm like, you know what, Andy Samberg, yes, putting this you on my television. I was huge. I was, was very hilarious. high in that movie. <laughs> um, but one thing I want to do here is let's. Let's give some um, attention to the actual winners, which I don't think the Emmys did a very good job of doing. Let's talk about some of these categories, do a little rundown, um, 
maybe talk a little bit about the winner, um, you know, give some props to other shows, or if there's any award you kind of disagree with, um, you know, we can talk about that too. Sure. Um, Outstanding Drama Series. Now, I am guilty of not watching The Handmaid's Tale. Um, I, I don't have, it's on Hulu, right? Or Amazon? Correct. Um, so I didn't watch it either. Um, I am a very large fan of Elizabeth Moss. I think she was fan. I've seen her in two things, so I'm not that big <laughs> of a fan. But um, I thought she was fantastic in Mad Men. I think everyone thought she was fantastic in Mad Men as Peggy. Uh, she yes. crushed it. Um, I previously saw her on West Wing, which third shout out. I guess if you talk to me, that's <laughs> occupational hazard. West Wing? Uh, Problem. But she was Zoe Bartlett, the president's daughter. There's this huge storyline about her um and Dulé hill a love interest who is now on ballers he's the seifer uh, general manager for the dolphins ballers um, not nominated for outstanding outstanding drama series robbery <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that <laughs> anyway what were you saying um she's just a fantastic actress she has been for a very long time she deserves any acclaim she gets so i it's not like i disagree with this i loved westworld though that was i think what i probably would have picked for drama series if the vote was only to me which wouldn't make it a vote i guess yeah so kind of a slow tv watching uh season for me um i'm actually working my way through westworld right now pretty intriguing stuff um i did watch house of cards house of cards may be losing its um, maybe losing its peak form a little bit. It, it was kind of confusing, and I wasn't really all that fully invested in it. Stranger Things, though, I watched Stranger Things in one day on a weekend. It was a Saturday, and I loved every second of it. I could not get enough of Stranger Things, so I think maybe if Stranger Things was a little bit closer to the Emmys, um, but still within the time frame that it qualified, I think that would have had a better chance of doing some things getting that award i concur with that i think in maybe a less it's never going to happen but in a less um politically i don't know radical climate i mean where everyone's opinion is literally 100 degrees or zero degrees Mm -hmm. celsius from each other um stranger things just hits that balance where it's a coming of age tale it's steven spielbergy it's a good story handmaid's tale talks about the patriarchy and i think that was a big voting factor this year yeah it it kind of was accidental talking of the uh the things that are going on now uh, because this was obviously just in creation before um we got the unfortunate 45 um so it's kind of kind of was in the right place at the right time in terms of when it was released and uh, it was wasn't reactionary in any way so yeah sure i would agree with that i think that there's going to be some shows like that in the next year two years uh hopefully not four years (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh that will win because they have a certain political thing to say which i'm not sure is the best um I don't know, the best way to rate a television show in terms of artistic value. Um, 
I don't know. I think Westworld was cool. I think Stranger Things was cool. These are all fantastic shows. I'm not going to say Handmaid's Tale doesn't deserve to win, as I haven't seen it, and it obviously did win. It deserved to win, but it just... Yeah. Westworld was visually stunning. I mean, it, I'm just going to defend my pick. It's visually stunning. The actors were good. The casting was good. The script was good. The music was good. Uh, I don't know if in a different climate it would have won if Handmaid's Tale didn't come out at, in the right place at the right time. Yeah, as far as what I can see from Westworld right now, it's essentially, it feels like it was an idea for a movie, and then they're like, no, 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 no. Let's make this into like a 10-episode season and, you know, really try to capture some more Game of Thrones magic on HBO. Sure. I don't know if they are just yet, but they might still. I mean, it's been one season. Can't count them out yet. Um, your girl Elizabeth Moss, though, outstanding lead actress in a drama series, she got that statue. For sure, and again, she deserves everything she gets. Um, I've always liked Robin Wright in House of Cards. Evan Rachel Wood was fantastic in Westworld. I've only heard good things about Claire Foy and The Crown, but I mean, Elizabeth Moss is a prestige actress, and she was in a huge show that happened to be extremely poignant and the time that it came out so i mean that's yeah that's how you win an emmy true um i i will always cape up hard for viola davis and robin wright um i think both in their own way they can definitely play that um strong like female no take no shit lead um evan rachel wood is there a emmy for comeback actress actor of the year because she she kind of came out of nowhere to do this Westworld thing I feel like yeah I definitely would have expected I don't know someone else uh, to be the female lead in an HBO I mean it was it was their flagship show for one of the seasons so I mean mm -hmm. I mean what are their other flagship shows I mean I guess I mean Game of Thrones has kind of made its own stars but I mean Silicon. pretty little liars had um, Reese Witherspoon I mean, she's kind of a big actress, I guess. Yeah, limited series, though, so... Right? Uh, uh, I think that they are working on season two. I saw a leak yesterday that they're going to... I'm not going to spoil it, but there was some uh, plot... There was, or I'm sorry, there was a casting choice that pointed towards a certain plot line for season two. Oh, okay. God, I have to be very convoluted with how I say this because I don't want to spoil it if you just started watching it. For um, for Westworld. Westworld. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Westworld, I, I'm like three episodes deep. I swear I'm going to get better at um, watching this content before I talk about it. <laughs> um, outstanding lead actor in a drama series. Again, another show that I keep on promising myself I'm going to watch. This is Us, but Sterling K. Brown... That is my home dog from the O.J. Simpson trial show that was on FX. Um, Sterling is the man. He's great. I would concur. Uh, I think I only know him from that show, but he it was fantastic. He was so good in that. I can't really imagine him being better in This Is Us, but, I mean, you know, you win an Emmy, that, to me, I guess would indicate that he is. <laughs> definitely flex and um as far as what i've seen from anthony hopkins in westworld is he really 
a lead no. actor in that show. I feel like he comes in and he pitches a few innings and then he's, you know, getting called back. I would concur with that. He is very much the puppet master, but he's just like the quirky dude. I mean, I think that's been pretty much the the theme of his career for Silence of the Lambs. Didn't he win Best Actor Oscar, but he was in it for like 17 minutes or something like that preposterously short amount of time where yeah getting lead actor like he's just a really good actor but he's not he definitely gets paid by the minute oh for sure so i guess we're both in agreement. um anthony hopkins more of a reserve player in that series so far i mean I, don't, I guess to me my best um my best take on it is he's like the dumbledore uh, he's super important. He's pulling strings behind the scenes. Um, he's an old white guy, but also he's not the main character. <laughs> yeah, I, I would concur with that. You'll see more as you go on. Um, we could have a Westworld pod in the future. Um, but Ooh, yeah. you, you'll you'll definitely see. He, he definitely figures into it in a pretty major way. Um, Kevin Spacey, though. Love Kevin Spacey, House of Cards. He is, I the just the I mean, the show wasn't so great this year, but just the character that he plays, um, it's one of my favorite characters to watch. I really like what he does with Frank Underwood and, um, just just kind of how crazy uh, he can get with it. Yeah, I concur with that. I think he's almost like a Russell Westbrook on the Thunder without Kevin Durant, where like he can bat. Mixing sports metaphors, he can have just like this. He he can have a triple double every single season of House of Cards and not win the title, which I guess in this metaphor is the lead actor in a drama series Emmy. Uh, but yeah, he's always awesome. I that character Frank Underwood is fantastic. It I I don't know how realistic it is to actual politics, but it certainly feels as cynical as politics seem these days, which is fantastic to watch on uh, Netflix. Yes, for sure. Um, outstanding limited series. I'm seeing Big Little Lies here, but I loved The Night Of. I was all in, 100% invested. Uh, Riz Ahmed, just again, sports metaphor, batting a thousand in that show. Oh, for sure. Um, I think the pilot episode of the night of might be one of my favorite episodes of anything ever it's it's so really good. good um i really did like big little lies too but i mean the night of scratched every itch that i have for a drama um in terms of just the acting the casting was fantastic despite um god why can't i remember his name john Turturro. Um, yeah, well, yeah, he was fantastic in it, um, despite um, James Gandolfini having initially been cast. Um, R.I.P. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but they definitely filled in his spot. Um, Riz Ahmed had a really big year in 2016. Um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about the night of. Big Little Eyes certainly appealed to everyone, and I think part of the reason it won is because there's so many big-name actresses in it. Um I, I would still go to bat for the night of, and I think it was probably a toss-up between those two shows. Yeah, I mean, um, when you're talking, even initially, um, a big 
HBO lineup of um, James Gandolfini and Michael Kenneth Williams in there as well. Um, you knew they had they were cooking up something special just with having names like that in the I guess the HBO sphere. Um, but my my general rule with watching TV shows, especially hour long TV shows, are give it at least three episodes. Like I need to watch three episodes. If they don't have me hooked by then then I can switch to the next, you know, Netflix show or what have you. But the night of, I was I was fully invested in within, like, the first 34 minutes. Like, I was, was in. Yeah. I needed to watch the rest. I remember watching that with my roommates and our jaws. Were, we had to pick them up off the floor at the end of that first episode. Um, and I think that was one of those ones where HBO released, two, or released the first episode, like, a week early. So we had to wait for like two weeks to get episode two and just like rewatching that pilot over and over. So maybe that's part of the reason that I'm so in on it, but uh, I think that it still is, it's so good. It gave you so many threads that you had to follow through for the whole season. Riz Ahmed is just so good in it. Uh, John Tatura is so good in it. And it really felt, I guess, more real in terms of the way that law enforcement deals with people of color and the way that Americans generally feel towards Muslim or Muslim-looking Americans um, than any other show on television. Yeah, I think that was definitely a more powerful aspect of it was having, um, you know, somebody who does actually look like Riz um, and who... I'm forgetting his name in the actual series. Um, Naz, his name was Nazir Khan. Um, having somebody like that as opposed to, um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but you do get, you know, a lot of maybe shows or movies where it is a black person who has been uh, stereotyped or who has been wrongfully convicted of something. And, you know, we we do see that happens all the time. We're need to be more well aware of it but we also need to be aware that this is happening to other races of people um so it, it's i think it draw more attention to not just one specific race but more of a people of color type of uh type of deal yeah for sure um it, it doesn't hurt that it was just a fantastically produced show the yes. visuals were stunning <laughs> It, the way that episodes ended, I mean, it, it was just such a good show. Nothing against Big Little Lies, which is also visually stunning. I just think that The Night Of was probably, um, I guess I'd say, like, more important in terms of just its content in 2016 when it was on uh, than most other shows. Or was it 15? It doesn't matter. It was really good, and if you haven't watched definitely. it, you should. Um yeah, so we we definitely nailed um, a lot of these limited a lot of the limited series talk. You know, we'd have Riz Ahmed um, caping up for him mad hard. I need I want him to have another big year. Um, he won outstanding lead actor uh, for his portrayal of Nas in the Night of. Um, he was competing against John Turturro. I think there was maybe a little bit of a feeling there that he might actually win that. Um, not sure. I, I would have went either way. I would have been okay with it. Yeah, uh, I like Riz Ahmed winning that one. Um, I 
that for, for this one for me um i'm not a huge benedict cumberbatch fan um not really. I do, like I know that he's a good actor, but I don't like his face. Uh, so it, John <laughs> Turturro obviously did a great job. Riz Ahmed is maybe the best um, rising star in 2016 between being in the night of a fantastic miniseries and Star Wars and other stuff. I mean, I've seen him in plenty of stuff and obviously having such a big role in one of the largest franchises ever uh, is going to elevate you. For my money, I thought Robert De Niro in Wizard of Lies uh, playing um, Bernie Madoff was at least, he definitely deserved this nomination. I don't know if he should have won, but um, I didn't really hear too much hype about him going in, um, and it was something that I really, really liked watching. Yeah, I mean, this may be a little hot takey, but I didn't like Wizard of Lies that much. I thought, like, De Niro was the best part of that, as he often is in movies or anything that he's really in. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I was, um, yeah, meet the parents, definitely. I was, I was expecting a little bit more out of that movie. Maybe I just had high expectations, but I definitely see well, what you mean for the nomination, at least. Yeah, full disclosure, I am a total sucker for financial-based dramas. So Wizard of Lies is right up my alley. The Big Short, right up my alley. Too Big to Fail, perfect movie for me. Margin Call, perfect movie for me. There's all of these movies are pretty much tailor-made for uh, a nerdy-ass accounting student. And I just said that Baller should have been up for Best Drama, so I think that kind of gives you a good idea of what corners we're in. Um, let's, let's touch a little bit on... Cause I love all these uh, comedy series that were nominated um, for the category, and I even I'm thinking of ones off the top of my head too that um, should have been nominated but weren't, including Brooklyn Nine Nine that we brought up before. Um, but Veep, once again for like the hundredth year in a row, taking that crown, um, Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta deserved the win. Uh, there's no way you can argue against it uh, other than that it was on not H. I don't know. I feel like fewer people have access to FX than have access and interest in. Like if you have an HBO subscription, you are paying for it, and you're pretty painfully aware of it to the tune of $15 a month, so you're going to be watching HBO a lot. I mean, yeah, uh, my primary news is Vice News. I think my TV news uh, is Vice News because, you know, I'm paying 50 bucks a month. I want to get my money's worth. Uh, and, I mean, you pay a little bit of money to have X, FX included uh, in a cable package or PSV package. But, I mean, 15 bucks a month for HBO, you better be watching it. Right. <laughs> so, so I think that plays a part. Um, I also think just because it is, like, an unabashedly, like, just black show, I mean, I, it is going to appeal to f fewer people there i'm sure are the the old white guys that are voting and they just don't like it because of that so they're going to vote for v which sucks but i think it's sort of just the way that um media and tv shows are in 2017 yeah i mean if you if you look down the list here it's 
you can't really say that there's a, just a, a lead white generic person at the helm. You know, it's not... I mean, I'm probably going to anger a lot of people with it. It's not Seinfeld dominating the early 90s, or it's not friends with, you know, six white people sitting in a coffee shop. Love hey both man, those shows. they're Jewish. Well, <laughs> but they do have uh, Judaism, even though... Yeah, not going to get into that. Um, love both those shows. They're great, but if you look down the list for comedy series here, you got Atlanta, you know... Donald Glover, my man, about to have another big year. Um, Blackish with Anthony Anderson and um, just having his entire black family, you know, from his real wife, real life wife to Lawrence Fishburne, which is pretty dope. Um, Master of None, you have Aziz, uh, David Chang, or not David Chang. I don't want to get that wrong. Let me let me uh, look that I'll up. Get it. Uh, while you look that up, though, let me keep going on my tangent here. Yes, please um, do. Modern Alan Yang. Alan Yang. That's it. David, David Chang. I've been watch. <laughs> I've been listening too much Bill Simmons, David Chang, uh, a, a chef of some kind. I know. Um, Modern Family. Um, you know, you have Sofia Vergara, but then you also have. Oh yeah, the um, entire point is that it's a diverse modern. Quote unquote, family. Modern family, yeah, exactly. And then you do have like a gay family with an adopted Asian daughter. Um, maybe could have a few more African Americans in there. That's just my preference. But they do a good job of keeping it diverse. Silicon Valley, um, you know, Kamal Nanjani, who's having a pretty good year himself with The Big Sick. Um, yeah, for sure. I think that that show does have, it probably employs more Indian Americans, Indian whatever if they're not americans people that from india that then most shows mostly because i think there's more indian americans indian people uh in tech and in silicon valley the place uh which informs silicon valley the tv show yeah and they they do actually do a pretty good job of integrating women in the show even though they don't generally play a main role um because I, Silicon Valley is a boys club for the most part. For sure. um, you can't forget Jin Yang. <laughs> Jin Yang, great character. Um, one of the best stereotype. Thing, my goodness. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But one of my favorite things about that show too is that when they do have women on that show, it's not, you know, these four or five guys in this house trying to, you know, nail the hot VC or, you know, hook up with the one pretty tech girl who can, you know, look like a, a 10 out of 10, but still be able to code for an entire, I don't work for Silicon Valley, so you, you can tell I don't know anything about coding, but code um, the whatever, code the whatever, um, but yeah, that's that's what I like best about that show is that these women actually serve a functional purpose rather than being a prop for the men or for the, like the lead actor to kind of pursue. Um, Unbreakable yep. Kimmy Schmidt, main character Kimmy Schmidt, kind of speaks for itself. But Veep, the consummate winner in this category, as we you know kind of talked on. Over and over, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, one of the great talents of this generation, 
Um, she's been helming that show for years now. Um, she's over 50 years old. Still looks great. She looks amazing. She looks like she could do this for another couple decades yet. Still doing Veep. Yeah, she uh, is foxy. Just straight up. She's great looking. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. Um, but she is also very, like, she's a talented and funny person who's been doing this since Seinfeld um, to bring it full circle. Uh, she's been dominating like two decades now, so three decades. Yeah, a well-deserved <laughs> win. Um, just to touch on Silicon Valley again, I think that the one thing about that show as compared to like an Atlanta or a Blackish is they'll um, they'll focus on kind of it almost feels like the TV trope of the hot girl, and they will exploit that. I mean, those there was a whole episode where or not a whole episode one of the subplots because that's what they do the a b and c plot on one episode uh was that one of the vcs was um invited to a party only because she is a woman which at at least they kind of acknowledge it in that show whereas i think a lot of network comedies just sort of they don't take it for granted per se but i mean the only reason that they have some actresses on the show is just because they're eye candy versus actually making them an integral part of the plot. Yeah, and that's that's the brilliance with some shows like that where they actually um, they can get a little bit meta and they they give a little bit of a nod and a wink to recognizing um, a certain scenario like that. Um, I think the first thing I thought of when you talked about you know your classic sitcom tropes of just like the hot girl um is the absolute worst i hate this show the anti-silicon valley which is the big bang theory um f that show to death dude oh my god how are they making the young sheldon how is that a thing i'm like the most mad about that i get like physically upset every time i see a commercial for that it makes me not want to watch football on cbs one of my girlfriend's friends said that she was a fan of the Big Bang Theory, and I told my girlfriend I don't want to hang out with her anymore, and we don't. <laughs> I mean, that's as valid a reason as any. I think you kind of know what kind of moral compass she has. Um, She's a nerd. <laughs> it does bring me to, I see Kaylee Cuoco, and it's been like 10 years since that show has been on, and ever since she's been on that show, she's kind of turned into a you know she is a beautiful woman but she's also just kind of that beautiful woman who shows up in advertisements now to sell your product and um she's still not really nailing any sort of roles in movies that i've seen i mean i don't want to like bash kaylee cuoco too much but i think they might be using her in kind of a negative way and it's really kind of hurting her stock and maybe pigeonholing her as a female set piece to these nerds who are trying to impress their beautiful women in their life yeah i'm done talking about big big bang theory yeah let's move on from big bang theory um i think i mean is i have one note if you want if you want to talk about it um i was looking i'm sorry i should probably let you answer before i start Oh, no, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think um, that's pretty much all. We talked a lot about the actors individually and 
things of that nature. I want to shout out Donald Glover again for winning for Atlanta. He's got two Emmys. Two Emmy Award winner Donald Glover. The next thing he needs is um, maybe a few Grammy. more Grammys, maybe an Oscar or so. Um, but what were you, what were you going to ask? Uh, as a Donald Glover, he could he got super easily, like for sure. Oh, he's, he's that talented. Maybe, maybe the most talented person in media. He just can do everything, and it's all brilliant. Mm-hmm. And he wrote for Thirty Rock, one of the funniest shows I've ever watched. Um, as far as I'm concerned, he deserves. Every award they can, every award he can carry, I guess. Yeah, I've seen him in concert twice too, under his pseudo name, um, Childish Gambino. I would, damn, I would love to see him with his new album. But um, he's he's a showman too. There are shows that you don't forget when he is performing. Um, so I can definitely see him being able to take his talents on a stage on Broadway and being able to do something like that. And he's. Uh, a person that's a creative being you know he left community because he wanted to basically just create more um, artistic work so I can definitely see him um, you know testing the bounds of his creativity by producing a play or doing a musical something like that for sure I feel like he could do something like a Hamilton or something I mean writes raps he could very easily do something like that oh, yeah. around the 2016 election for instance i think would be pretty good source material or anything i mean he's he's so talented and i'm really excited to see what he does next yes we love donald glover dg so what i was going to say um it slightly it's a little bit of a digression. Uh, in terms of the Variety Talk series, I was looking at all the nominees. So there's Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, The Late Late Show with James Corden, Real Time with Bill Maher, Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, I noticed that three of those people, Colbert, John Oliver, Samantha Bee, are all alumnuses, alumni, I guess. Duh, this is the perfect. Um, uh, we're on The Daily Show with John Stewart, and it's just crazy to me that that show has birthed so many i mean really popular acclaim winning stars i mean usually you think okay what show has all these successful people and it's like snl or like a like a mickey mouse club or something but john oliver and stephen colbert and samantha b were all students of of john stewart and um i don't know it's very interesting to me how influential he's been over the years in terms of people getting information about politics and more lighthearted news and just information via these types of programs versus standard news and i think that's all because of john stewart who i miss on tv dearly i do miss john stewart um i think given the current political climate he would have been the most like important person on television like right yeah. now i mean he I the other ones are great but down. yes exactly john stewart would have been appointment viewing um although trevor noah is growing on me um I, I definitely like him um a little bit more every time i watch but man i like I, that he's I, an I outsider perspective and i like that he is a stand-up so he can kind of go off the cuff and can do a little bit less serious jokes and more serious disses, whereas Jon Stewart, especially towards the end of his tenure, 
really almost seemed like a Bill O'Reilly, not in terms of spectrum, obviously, but in terms yeah. of almost what he was saying. It was more serious than it was comedic, even though he did get his digs in, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and I think that kind of gave him a little bit more credibility um, to do so rather than, um, you know, just making jokes at the expense of America for the most part. <laughs> for sure, um, and I mean... John Stewart was at his best when America was at its worst. I mean, during the Iraq War, during Hurricane Katrina, I mean, it was very, very, during 9-11, it was very grounding to go and watch John Stewart, this comedian, just talk about all these very important issues, but like, kind of try to make you laugh, but kind of try to inform you, call bullshit when he sees it. I mean, I think that his pupils have really carried out his legacy well, but again, I can't say how much much i miss john stewart on the air and i hope that he's doing something or something's in the works that brings him back to the public eye yeah i mean he's he's at least working on that beard um we love you john stewart come back to us youtube barack you. obama come back to us too we um, more. <laughs> uh, we gotta go though um so i think that's uh, a good place to stop i gotta wrap this up and we should get this publishing going um anything you want to plug uh you can follow me on twitter at rogpodge r-o-g underscore p-o-d-g-e uh i don't really tweet anything important it's mostly just me bullshitting and trying to be funny uh there'll be a lot of stuff on there this week specifically about how bummed i am about that packers game but um, usually just sports and bullshit and politics related stuff and uh, as always just check us out on Define Print on medium.com yeah go check us out there that's where we can kind of get our our content out on the topics that we truly want to discuss in a little bit more depth and detail um, some analysis there uh, good plug with the Twitter. I don't think I've plugged my Twitter yet on this. Um, it's at Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N underscore Smith 27. Um, I tweet way too much and I retweet a lot. Um, just trying to pass along important information. Uh, you can catch me at acmepackingcompany.com, Green Bay Packers blog, or faketeams.com, uh, fantasy sports affiliates, um, both those through SB Nation. Um, well, thanks for coming on, Roger. I think this was a great conversation. We're going to have to get on again, uh, maybe hit some more movie topics next time. Oh, I'd love that. That sounds fun. Thanks for having me. This was a, uh, it was a blast. Yeah, you bet. Uh, hoping to have you on as a regular co-host. Uh, thank you all for listening to Pod Chat. Um, any sort of topics or discussion points you want us to hit on this podcast, uh, hit us up on Twitter. That's why we give you our handles. Uh, in the meantime, let's play us out with Ryan McCrum. <laughs>